Welcome to Russian History Retold, Episode 162, Leo Tolstoy, Marriage, War and Peace, and Anna Karenina. Last time, we covered Leo's time in Sevastopol and his two trips to Europe. Today, we meet for the second time his soon-to-be wife, Sonia, with whom he was to have 14 children. Some of you may know Leo's wife as Sophia, and in some biographies, she goes by that name. And in reality, it was her given name. But I'm going to use the name by which many of her friends knew her and is used by Henry Troyot in his biography of Tolstoy, and that is Sonia. To say that the marriage between Leo and Sonia was a miserable one may be my greatest understatement in this podcast's history. Having read about it in preparation for today's episode made me feel bad for the two of them, as well as their children. Their misery, though, became our gift. Why this is true will be revealed in a bit. One thing that sets this relationship apart from many in world history is that the two of them had extensive diaries that we had been able to look at. Not only that, we also have correspondence between them and their relatives, and they did travel in a literary circle whose members also give us insight into their marriage. It is here that I've come to a philosophical dilemma in writing the script for today's podcast, and that is the age-old question in history of, what is the truth? Leo would have one point of view regarding an incident, and Sonia would have another, and an outsider like the poet Fett would have yet another. Trying to reconcile three different perspectives on one point in time is extremely difficult. Who to believe, who to trust. Outsiders give a unique perspective, but they have a hard time knowing what's really going on in the personal lives of the couple. Now, Leo, we know, is brash, opinionated, and irascible. Sonia has a woe-is-me attitude, as well as being stern and judgmental. So instead of delving too deeply into their personal lives and opinions, I'll try to stick to the facts as we know them and steer clear of the emotions of two very different, but uniquely similar people. To be honest, the relationship did not start off that bad. I mean, the Bears family was staying at home uh, near Yasnaya Polyana when Leo came to visit them. They had three daughters, Lisa, 20, Sonia, 18, and Tanya, 16. At first, everyone thought that the natural match was between the eldest girl, Lisa, and Tolstoy. Except her personality didn't strike Leo as being intriguing enough. Quickly, he became enamored of Sonia much to the chagrin of Lisa. The fighting between the two sisters was pretty intense. The parents could not control them, and the conversation of who Leo would choose became the only talk within the Bear family. The father thought it only proper that the oldest daughter marry first, but the mother believed that the decision had to come from the heart. Tolstoy, for his part, was indecisive, but heavily leaning towards picking Sonia. Each day he procrastinated, he became more of a nervous wreck. Everyone involved was going crazy in anticipation. On either September 14th or 15th, we're not quite sure, in 1862, Leo wrote Sonia a letter asking her to marry him. Lisa demanded that she say no, but instead she said yes. And just a little while later, September 23rd, 1862, Tolstoy married Sofia Andreevna Bears who was 16 years his junior. 
The day of the wedding didn't go very smoothly, as Leo's servant had forgotten where he put his white shirt, which delayed things for hours. Sonia was petrified by the delay, thinking that maybe her soon-to-be husband had changed his mind at the last minute. But later that day, he did arrive at the church, and the wedding went on as planned. Now, if any of you have been to a Russian Orthodox wedding, you know it's a really long event. When my brother got married in the church, I was the best man and had to hold a crown, which was not light. Let me tell you, it was pretty heavy. Had to hold it over his head for somewhere between 30 and 45 minutes, although it felt more like three hours, so I wasn't exactly sure how long it lasted. It was just pretty tiring. It's a long and laborious ceremony, and it ends with a celebratory dinner. Sonia was nervous afterwards, as you might expect of a woman so much younger than her husband. But what Leo did almost immediately after the wedding was just surprising. He presented his bride with his personal diary. In it, he detailed many of his affairs and dalliances with numerous women over the years. Why he would do something like that is really stupefying, and, and would set the direction in their marriage of jealousy and suspicion for years to come. But before I make it out that these were two poorly matched people, let me say that if not for Sonia, there might have been no War and Peace or Anna Karenina. Without the two of them working together, the literary genius of Leo Tolstoy might never have come to its full potential. Sonia was the workhorse who toiled with the impetuous Leo to put out some of the greatest pieces of literary work in world history. War and Peace is considered by many to be one of, if not the greatest novel of all time. When it was released, the first couple of parts were published as a series, until Tolstoy's wife convinced him to turn it into a single book. This was to make the family very wealthy, as it was a huge success. Critics, though, had mixed feelings about the work at first. The essayist Vasily Bodkin wrote, quote, Apart from the section on Freemasonry, which is uninterested and, in fact, boring, the novel is excellent from every point of view. What animation and depth! What a quintessentially Russian work! The Russian satirist Mikhail saltikov Shesherdin was not so positive. He stated, quote, The military scenes were all falsehood and chaos. Generals Bagration and Kutuzov were made to look like puppets. One no less than Dostoevsky was even more scathing in his critique. Quote, to arrive with war and peace is to derive too late, after the new word of Pushkin, and however far, however high Tolstoy may go, he cannot change the fact that new word was uttered before him, and the first time by a genius. Ivan Turgenev, who disliked the opening of the book, had incredible praise for the rest while still criticizing parts. Quote, There are a score of ceasingly astonishing pages in War and Peace, absolutely top quality. All the descriptions, the customs, and the manners, like the hunt, the troika race at night, etc. The historical appendix, on the other hand, which has brought the readers to such a pitch of frenzy, is nothing but puppetry and charlatanism. Tolstoy makes his readers' eyes bug out by telling them about the tips of Alexander's boots or Speransky's laugh, and he makes them believe he knows everything about these people because he knows those specific things about them, when in fact, that is all he knows. However, there are things in the novel that nobody but Tolstoy is capable of writing, 
anywhere in Europe. Things that made me shiver with a positive fever of excitement. And finally, the Russian historian and journalist Mikhail Pogodin wrote, quote, I melt, I weep, I rejoice. Now look here, what is this? You've done for me, you've turned me and my dotage into Natasha. And Pushkin, not here to see it. How he would have applauded, how happy he would have been. How he would have rubbed his hands with glee. Months later, though, many conservative elements in the government and in literature railed against Tolstoy's treatment of Russian heroes of the Napoleonic Wars, such as Speransky, Rostopochin, Irmolov, Bagration, and Kutuzov. And on the other hand, the liberals dumped criticisms on him because of his use of elite members of society as characters throughout the book. That, and of course, he was a nobleman with a large estate. He was in a no-win situation, but he really didn't care, as the people of Russia loved his book. After basking in the glory of war and peace, Tolstoy had a bit of a letdown. He felt ill and took a long time off to gather himself emotionally. Leo began to read everything he could get his hands on, especially philosophic works. One writer was to begin to change his belief system in his mind, the German philosopher Schopenhauer. As he wrote to his friend, the poet Fett, quote, Do you know what my summer has been? One continuous roar of approval of Schopenhauer, a series of spiritual joys such as I have never known them before. I wrote away for his complete works, and I've read them, and am reading them again. Certainly, no student ever learned as much as his entire course of study as I have in this one summer. Interestingly, about 13 years later, as Troyat tells us, Tolstoy would reverse his feelings about Schopenhauer by saying, quote, Pessimism, and that of Schopenhauer in particular, has always seemed to be not only a sophism, but a form of nonsense, and a vulgar form at that. Leo began to face the idea of death at this point. Looking back at his parents dying when he was young, as well as losing his brother Nicholas Dmitri, and his recently his father-in-law, Dr. Bears, in 1868, it hit him hard. But he also seemingly suffered from the loss of one of his characters in the War and Peace, Prince Andre. It really hurt him deep inside. And you have to remember, all of the people in his books were based on real-life individuals that he had come across during his life. So losing a fictional person was kind of like losing a real one to Tolstoy. Now, Leo wanted that he, he decided he wanted to buy an estate he had read about in some newspaper. And it was in the area called Penza. Starting out with his young servant, Sergei Arbuzov, he made his way to Moscow and then to Nizhny Novgorod by train. From there, he was forced to take a coach to travel the last 250 miles. But during this time, he became extremely melancholy. They stopped at a small town called Arzamas. The only room at the inn they went to was kind of square and white. It frightened Leo, as he writes in an unpublished work entitled Notes of a Madman. Quote, I recall that I was particularly disturbed by the fact that it was square. Now, he eventually dozed off, but awoke scared, as he puts it in his private book. Quote, this is ridiculous, I told myself. Why am I so depressed? What am I afraid of? Of me, answered Death. I am here. 
A cold shudder came over me and ran over my skin. Yes, death. It will come. It is already here, even though it has nothing to do with me now. His nightmare shook him to his very core. Leo wrote to his wife, Something extraordinary happened to me at Arzamas. It was two o'clock in the morning. I was very tired. I was sleepy. But I felt perfectly all right. And suddenly I was seized by a despair, despair, a fear, a terror, such as I have never known before. I shall tell you the details later. He made it to the estate for sale, but the event at Arzamas rattled him, and he decided against buying it. He went home and proceeded to have a case of writer's block. Now, Leo wanted to write a novel about Peter the Great, but nothing came of it. Sonia became frustrated with him. Well, instead of writing, he decided, out of the blue, I'm going to learn a new language. I'm going to learn Greek. Within weeks, he became fluent in it. It was just amazing. And he was able to translate the works of Xenophon, Homer, and Plato. We're talking just weeks to learn an ancient language. Just amazing what kind of a mind this man had. Now, Sonia at that time gave birth to their fifth child in February of 1871, but came out of it pretty ill. This depressed Leo, and he began to think that he was ill as well. Convinced by doctors to take some time off, Tolstoy headed to Samara in the south with his 16-year-old brother-in-law, Stepan. While there, he purchased a 6,700-acre estate, which he would go to from time to time. Returning to Yasnaya Polyana, he tried his hand at writing an educational book called The Reader, but over time it was censored by the government, and understand that one of his cousins, another Tolstoy, was the Minister of Education, so this was pretty difficult on him. And this really frustrated him, but then a greater tussle with the administration was to come when a young shepherd boy was killed by a gore from one of Leo's bulls. When he returned from a trip to Samara in 1872, he was placed under house arrest. Although he was later exonerated, he was so upset with the people for having put him under house arrest that he had threatened to move himself and his family to England. But cooler heads prevailed, and the incident was forgotten. Although a second young shepherd was killed by a bull the same way, being gored, but he was exonerated from that one as well. But it did shake him up. It, it did disturb him. Now, Leo returned to work on the reader, which greatly frustrated the more practical Sonia. She was aware of a number of offers to publish anything new from her husband for lots of money, yet he continued to muddle through his harebrained idea of teaching the peasants with his new educational work. Now, an incident occurred that would yet again shake up Tolstoy, a suicide of the mistress of a friend, Bibikov. The young woman, Anna Stepanovna Pirogova, was angered by her lover's affair with another woman. After roaming the countryside for three days, she threw herself in front of a freight train at the Yazinki station. Her note to Bibikov said, quote, You are my murderer. Be happy if an assassin can be happy. If you like, you can see my corpse on the rails of Yasinki. Leo went to the station when he heard of the suicide to view the macabre autopsy that was performed on the woman at the station. Here she was laying naked, skull fractured, bare breasts, bare legs. He, he just was looking at her and taking in the detail of this young woman. And it was that image that haunted him. Now some of you are going to be saying to yourself, ah, 
I know who Anna Stepanovna was to become, and she was going to be immortalized in one of Tolstoy's books. Now, if you don't, here comes the big reveal. She's, of course, the tragic figure of Anna Karenina. Contrary to popular myth, the incident was not the inspiration for the book. According to Sonia's diary, Leo had come up with an idea that was festering in his mind for two years prior. In 1870, he thought up an idea for a novel based on an upper-class woman having an affair. His quandary was, as she put it, quote, to make the woman pitiable, but not contemptible. And that when this creature came into his mind as a type, all the masculine characters he had previously invented immediately grouped themselves around her. Now, one other thing that I found interesting in reading uh, uh, Wilson's book on Tolstoy was that at this time in Russia, there were a lot of suicides going on. There was kind of a feeling of hopelessness because of the censorship and the control by the Romanovs over the people, especially the the upper class. And there were these suicides going on all over the place, one after another. And this also started festering in Leo Tolstoy's mind. So this is kind of the layup to when we get to the book Anna Karenina. Anna Stepanovna's suicide didn't immediately set off an intellectual bomb in Tolstoy's mind. That took a little more than a year. But two other books were to ignite the brilliance that was to become Anna Karenina. The first was Alexandre Dumas's book L'Homme Femme. As he puts it in a letter to a friend, Have you read L'Homme Femme? I was staggered by it. One would not expect a Frenchman to have such a lofty concept of marriage and relations between men and women in general. The second was Pushkin's Bailikin Tales, which his son Sergei was reading. As he read the first line from the short story, Loose Leaves, in the book, quote, the guests were arriving at the country house. He leapt out of his chair, went scurrying to his office, and wrote the first words of his great novel, quote, After the opera, the guests reassembled at the home of the young Countess Vraski. From this humble beginning, the world was to meet his characters, Vronsky, Levin, Kitty, Oblonsky, Dolly, Kostya, and, of course, Anna Karenina. As he did in War and Peace, he tailored his characters from the people in his life. Sonia gave way in part to Kitty. Leo transformed himself into Levin. Levin's brother was Leo's brother, Dmitri, who died of tuberculosis. Vronsky was much like Sonia's first suitor, Mitrofan Polivanov. Anna Karenina was thought to be modeled after Pushkin's daughter, Maria Alexandrovna Hartung. Within eight weeks of starting, Tolstoy had his first draft completed on May 11, 1873. Now, he believed that this was his first novel, as War and Peace, he thought, was greater than just being called a mere novel. Sonia, as she did with his other works, transcribed much of his thoughts and compiled them as he edited his work. Now, here's something that I failed to say earlier. Incredibly, Sonia was to transcribe seven complete edits of War and Peace. Now, if you know how long this book is, it really makes you admire this woman greatly. Still, Anna Karenina may not have reached us after the tragedy of November 9, 1873. On that day, the Tolstoy's youngest boy, Petya, died of croup. 
Sonia was devastated by the loss of her son, but Leah was affected in a different way. He was frightened by death. Not his son's, but of his own mortality. So much so that only two days after the funeral, he fled his wife and family at Yasnaya Polyana to go to Moscow to get away from the feeling of death in the house. But what helped both parents recover from the sudden and unexpected tragedy was writing. They dove back into his novel, and by March of 1874, the first part was completed and then sent to Katkov, the editor of the Russian Herald. On April 22, 1874, the Tolstoys welcomed their fifth boy into the family, Nicholas. But that joy was short-lived as Leo's aunt, Toinette, began to slip quickly. On June 20th, she passed away. As he put it in a letter to his sister, quote, When death came, her features cleared, and all my memories of her returned. I miss her. One of my most important ties with the past has been broken. You and Sergei are all I have left. But back to work on his book he did go. He completed chapters 1 through 14 by January of 1875. But there was another tragedy to befall the Tolstoy family. Their newly born son Nicholas had water on his brain, which caused him to suffer terribly until his death on February 20th, 1875. This was not the end of the string of deaths. On October 20th of the same year, Sonia gave birth to a baby girl who would die a half an hour after birth. Then, on December 22nd, and Pelagaya Yushkov, who had just moved to Yasnaya Polyana just a few months earlier, died. From 1873 to 1875, Leo lost three children and two of his favorite aunts. He was by now totally worn out and despised having finished Anna Karenina. He had really wished that somebody else would finish the book. But pressure was mounting from all sides as earlier chapters were getting universal praise. Tolstoy finally finished the book, but his epilogue got him into hot water with his publisher. At the time, Serbia and Montenegro were in open revolt against the Turks. Thousands of Russians volunteered to go on to fight for their Orthodox brethren's behalf. But Tolstoy thought this was really foolish, and had Levin, his character in the book, say so, which angered Katkov and others at the Russian Herald. They demanded the epilogue be rewritten. He decided he was going to publish it separately and include it in his hardcover book that was released in 1878. It was an absolute huge success and made the Tolstoys quite wealthy. So join me next time as we wrap up the series on Leo Tolstoy. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. One thing I have to say is our Facebook fan page is growing every day, and we're getting lots of interesting posts about Russia and its history. They're being shared by many of the followers. I'm just really excited about it. Pictures from the past and the present of Russia and the people and stories about it, and people are sharing ideas. It's fantastic. So if you haven't joined and you've listened to 160 somewhat odd episodes, I think it's time you join the Facebook group. So now, as always, das Vidanya. И спасибо большое.